0: Welcome back. It's Deb Hutton sitting in for Reshmi Nair this week. So much. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. And also joining me are our smart speakers for Wednesday Matt Gurney, co founder and editor of The Line, an online magazine, and also a columnist for TV Ontario. And we're going to get to some of his columns this afternoon. Sunil Johal, professor in public policy and society at the University of Toronto. And Jamie Ellerton, founding partner at Canaptist and longtime political It would be a mistake for me not to start with the big news in the City of Toronto today, and that is the proposed staff generated budget being sold by Budget Chief Shelley Carroll. $17 billion operating budget, a $1.8 billion hole. Despite the fact there is also a proposal in this budget for a 9% residential property tax hike plus the 1.5% that is usually baked into these budgets for the city levy, bringing it to a whopping, in my view, 10.5% tax increase for residential owners. I'll just add a, a second point, 4.5% instead of 9 is the multi-residential rate that's being proposed, uh, increase, sorry, to the rate that's being proposed, 45 for commercial and similar 9% on industrial properties. That is the proposal. I will start with you, Matt Gurney. We're going to talk about one of your columns in a few minutes, so just looking to go around the table and get general reactions to those numbers.
1: You said a minute ago, Deb, uh, that it was an eye-popping number, and I agree. I could even say eye-watering. I say good. People should know... What it costs to consume what they want. I think we have a real problem with make believe in this city where we think that, you know, either, I mean, not so much at the city level because you can't run debts, but at the federal and provincial level, we borrow money to pay for things that we want to have, but we don't want to pay for. And at the city level, we play this constant uh, game with the province and the feds of basically being show up and give us box or else we're doomed. I want every taxpayer in this city to pay every penny of what their consumption costs because until they start doing that, they're not going to know what they really value.
0: And what about the fact that this budget is almost a billion dollars more than last year's budget? 12 months, a billion dollars almost increase. And yes, we've had property, um, we've had population increase, yes, we've had inflation, but a billion dollars, Matt?
1: I'm not sure offhand how much um, of that billion is actually accounted for by inflation and population growth. It's not zero, but I assume it's not a huge uh, portion of it either. No. Um, The the voters get what they deserve. Uh, The voters had an election. They chose Mayor Chow to be the mayor. I don't think any voter in the city had any illusions about which direction uh, Mayor Chow and uh, her council allies would take this city. We collectively, you know the old saying, Deb, right? The voters uh, deserve what they get, good and hard.
0: All right, Sunil Johal, what's your take on the budget as we heard it this morning?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... I kind of agree with Matt. I kind of disagree with Matt. I mean, sure, the city needs to raise property taxes. It needs to do better in terms of delivering the services it delivers, but the city's in a box that's not of its own creation here. Uh, Municipalities in Canada just don't have a lot of fiscal tools to meet the increasing demands that they're facing, whether that's providing uh, transit, shelter services, uh, housing, you name it. Uh, All of those... Uh, pressures are only going to increase in the years ahead. But the fact of the matter is the province and the federal government are the ones with the big fiscal tools. So whether it's income tax, sales tax, those types of uh, revenue components that grow with the economy, whereas property taxes are very kind of static, flat uh, tool. And it's one of the very few tools the city has. So I think we need a broader conversation, not just about what's happening this year in the city, but going forward over the next 5, 10, 20 years, how do we make sure cities like Toronto are equipped uh, to face the growing demands that they're going to be expected to meet?
0: Well, Jamie Ellerton, speaking of five years, I'm going to give another figure. Five years ago, this city was spending $11 11.12 $11. to be specific. Today, we're proposing $17 billion. I don't think this is an issue of revenue, and I don't think we should be raising taxes 10.5%. But over to you.
3: Yeah, listen, I think if you look at Olivia Chow's own promises, uh, I worked on the Bradford campaign for mayor last spring, and just based off her new promises alone— that was going to equal a 20% tax increase on the backs of Toronto ratepayers, And she hasn't even gotten close to implementing all of her costly promises that she ran on in the last election. So, Deb, I'm not surprised that this is a 10% tax increase. We saw this coming. Uh, She tried to say it was going to be small, but this is her first budget. She's still got three more years left in the term. And, of course, when we have this conversation, there's always people who try and talk about the three levels of government. Uh, And I know you're familiar with this, like the... Oh, we lost Jamie just as he was about. Sorry, I oh. got cut out there. Uh, we know you were familiar with this stuff from your time in government. Like the, we had that reckoning in the '90s of how to get government books back in order, and it never is a part of this equation, especially when it comes to Toronto's left, do they talk about what is some things government shouldn't be doing anymore, that we could instead take that money and invest it into core services. Uh, There always seems to be a bloat in spending of growth. Yes, the city's growing, but quite frankly, in a large city like Toronto, that should mean we get more economies of scale for our money spent. Not having everything just crease on a per capita basis.
0: Now, Jamie has raised the specter of all three levels of government. I know, Matt, you have done a column just today, hot off the press, says in its headline, Olivia Chow is playing hardball with the feds and she's doing it really well. Tell oh, us yeah. about your column.
1: Oh, I've been smiling all day. Like, I mean, I know I'm broken inside. I get that. But, like, I love it when a politician um, uh, sandbags another one. The... What's, oh, I'm trying to remember. What was it called? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm embarrassed here, Deb. i got to pull my own column up here to get the exact phrase. But the new 6% levy she's actually going to put on top of the property tax, because we're talking about a 10.5% property tax increase. But she's saying it will, in fact, be 16.5%. There is an extra 6% increase that's been set aside on a provisional basis if the feds don't come up with the bucks here. And I, I pulled up my own column. It's called the Fed federal impacts levy. Yep. Olivia Chow is saying to Justin Trudeau, or probably more specifically to Christian Freeland, who is not only the deputy prime minister and finance minister, but represents a Toronto riding, pony up the bucks, or I'm dinging every Torontonian, one of the last remaining federal liberal bastions of support with a 6% levy, and I'm blaming it on you. It's hardball politics. It's old school. I'm here for it, purely for the
0: entertainment. All right, Sunil. Your take on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a smart political move for the mayor. I mean, she's got to make it transparent to voters that the federal government's policies on refugees are putting significant cost burdens on the shoulders of the city of Toronto. And if the federal government doesn't step up to, to pay those costs, then uh, that's going to mean a, an even greater increase in the property tax, as Matt pointed. Uh, so I think it's smart politics. I mean, Whether the average taxpayer in Toronto is paying attention to this at any level of detail is a whole other question. What they will pay attention to is a 16.5% property tax increase instead of a ten half uh, percent one, but I think the the prospect of the f- fact that the feds could be entering an election anytime time in the next year to two years could mean that this this uh, approach works and it might uh, exert some pressure on the federal government and its forthcoming spring budget to step up with some funding.
0: Jamie, your take on this? I mean, I agree with Matt. This is smart politics, but we've seen squat from the feds despite their dominance politically in this city.
3: Yeah, and I think, frankly, the Liberal Party of Canada takes Toronto for granted. And I think Olivia Chow saying, hey, it's time to pay your bill. This is a city that welcomes people from around the world, especially those seeking refuge. Uh, which means they're probably not coming here with means, and they're going to need support. That's why our social services are so strained. These people are let into the country. Uh, Yes, there's a broad Canadian consensus that we want them to come, but ultimately it's the federal government that's responsible. And I suspect if City Hall was the one tallying the number of refugees we could support in a year, the number would be lower because then the mayor would not be wanting to put a 6% additional on top of the 10 that we're talking about, property tax increase just to pay for that. So I think this is actually the NDP playing hardball politics with the Liberals. And I think when you look at this from the broader kind of political spectrum and how this plays out, the NDP probably actually dislikes Liberals more than Conservatives do, because the Liberals like to talk like New Democrats and say they say the right things and have the right feelings, but they don't actually do the follow through and they don't have the conviction for it. And so this is Toronto's left calling out the hypocrisy and the kind of hollowness of the platitudes you see so often from Liberal partisan politicians, but not following through on it, especially when the finance ministers from here, especially when we have two senior ministers in uh, the Minister of Justice in Parkdale High Park and Yara Sachs in New York Centre. Like Toronto is getting shortchanged. And if those same refugees, Deb, were to arrive in Montreal... They would get far more per capita supports from the feds than they're getting here in Ontario. And I think it's about time we have politicians in the city. Kudos to Mayor Chow for standing up to make sure Toronto gets its fair deal.
0: On that note, we're going to take a break for traffic. Coming up, far more smart speaker topics after the break. Welcome back. It's Deb Hutton sitting in for Resh Munair. Just a reminder: after the break for traffic at 5:30, I'm gonna be joined by former Mayor John Tory to get his thoughts and perspective on today's budget announcement out of City Hall and ask also talk to him a little bit about what he thinks we might see from Olivia Chow in her budget as distinct from staff budget that was introduced today on February 1st. So just after the 5.30 break for traffic, John Tory will join me in studio to chat about that. Right now, I am joined by our smart speakers for Wednesday afternoon, Matt Gurney, co-founder and editor of The Line, an online magazine and columnist for TV Ontario, Sunil Johal, who is the professor in public policy and society at the University of Toronto, and Jamie Ellerton, founding partner at Canaptist and long-time political strategist. Spent the whole first part of our opportunity to chat today talking about the budget. I'm going to lighten things up a little bit. Jamie and I were corresponding about the fact that I posted a picture of my girls on New Year's Eve, and my oldest was wearing a Nirvana T-shirt. So curious, this this is a phenomena. You could find Nirvana merchandise for kids, for young adults, everywhere. When i went shopping recently she was desperate to have a t-shirt what is behind this phenomena jamie i'm going to start with you is this just you know when times get tough we all look backwards in our lives or is this nothing more than social media
3: yeah deb you know how they say like when you buy a car you then see that model everywhere all of a sudden and then prior to purchasing that model you never really saw it after seeing your daughter miller in a nirvana t-shirt Full disclosure, dab, I thought like Tim was just getting her into like 90s music and some of the taste that Tim would have <laughs> looked into growing up. And I was like, Daddy passing on tradition and good taste to his daughters. But then after seeing the post of Miller on Instagram, I then out and about in stores and whatnot, started seeing Nirvana stuff everywhere, to which I said, OK, this is Clearly, some kind of like 90s fad trend back in style. So, is there more to it than that?
0: I don't know. I mean, I'm going to ask Matt Gurney. You've got kids. This is like, it's everywhere. I actually bought Miller a Sunny and Share t shirt from a reputable t shirt company. And, and just it's a t shirt company I buy from. And all of a sudden, they had a Sunny and Share t shirt. Matt Gurney, what is it? What's causing this? Are we just all looking for a little nostalgia and that's getting passed on to our kids?
1: I think it's Old Navy and the Gap. <laughs> and other similarly sized um, companies. Because I, I say I say this with, with all seriousness. My daughter's 11, and she has a Pink Floyd t-shirt. She's got, I think, an ACDC t-shirt. She's got a Stones t-shirt. Her friends have different variations of that. Guns N' Roses is one I can think of. Yeah. Uh, Aerosmith is one I can think of. And they're all coming from the same store. So what I think is happening is that parents are going into places where they can buy affordable clothes. They're seeing adorable kid-sized T-shirts that remind them of their youth, and they're buying them for eight bucks a pop. And then their kids, of course, have absolutely no idea what any of this stuff is, but the parents like it. And I'm saying this in no way as an accusation. I'm saying this as a confession.
0: (laughs) What did you buy, Matt? Matt?
1: Oh, I mean, look. I, I mentioned the. Uh, I did not get Pink Floyd because I find Waters annoying, but Stones and AC/DC. Guilty as charged.
0: Yeah, there's a ton of T-shirts with the with the big lips on it as well. So Neil, I'll say it wasn't Old Gap or Old Navy. I actually bought it in the states, but I could have bought it at ten stores. This Nirvana T-shirt, Nirvana um, sweatshirt, like is, is as Matt say, it's us actually buying it for our kids.
2: Yeah, or the kids are just buying it thinking it looks cool, but they have no idea what this is referring to. I think I saw a video a few weeks ago where there was, it looked like a high school, and a girl was wearing, I think it might have been Nirvana or some kind of 90s band, and they asked her, Who is this? Like, do you know any names, uh, any songs from this band? And I had absolutely no clue, nor did anybody else who was walking by in the hallways. Or, I mean, the alternative is this is just all unsold inventory from the 80s and 90s. and uh, (laughs) These companies are just offloading it now, uh, given supply. (laughs) Mothballs not included.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Well, if that's the case, then I got scammed because it was not an 80s or 90s price that I paid for this T-shirt. Matt Gurney, I'm going to go back to you on this one. Have you heard of Gentle Parenting?
1: Uh, in the abstract, yeah. I, I read the article that you guys uh, sent today. Uh, look, I mean, parenting is something that parenting parents, I should say, think a lot about, right? Um For sure. Uh, And I I think I, I have great parents. I'm still in touch with my parents. They're both alive. They're healthy. I have a wonderful relationship with them both. But they didn't get everything right, and I'm very conscious of that. And I try to do a better job than they did in the things they weren't great at. And I have no doubt whatsoever that I am completely screwing up and dropping the ball um a lot of what uh they probably got right you know like i can fix one problem and then i'm probably just creating another here the idea of gentle parenting which is sort of where the parents remain very emotionally centered calm and um very affectionate and uh attentive to the t- attend- attentive i should say that was a hard word for some reason to their child's emotional needs i do think as a generation we parents today Probably are a little bit more dialed in on the emotional needs stuff, but I'll be honest with you in terms of like always being calm and quiet, nothing gets my kids moving after the third warning, like a good shout from dad. I give them the first three warnings, the nice way after that gentle dad is done.
0: Yeah, I have to say, you know, you're calm, you're calm. This is usually mornings for me, you're calm, you're calm, you're calm. Then you lose your crap and you yell and you're mad at yourself for doing it. And then my kid says, "Sunil, why are you mad at me?"
2: Like, yeah, they don't they don't think about why what you're thinking or feeling. Um, at all. But I mean, yeah, it was an interesting article. I mean, I think I mean it kind of made me think like of all the things that we require people to do tests for like driving a car like when it comes to parenting like most people just you kind of it just happens like you're kind of figuring it out on the go like you don't really know what the evidence is or what the best approaches are you you, it's trial and error people are kind of experimenting seeing what worked with them maybe what didn't work with them trying different things with their own kids so uh it would be great to kind of know what. What the, what the best things to do are, but I think for every gentle parent you see in the airport when their kid starts running away, they're, they turn into a not-so-gentle parent to, to yell at them and kind of get them back uh, get them back by their side so they can board the plane.
0: Jamie, I'm going to switch gears here. There's a story out of Montreal uh, that I took some calls on earlier. It's about porch pirates and the notion that despite the almost epidemic of, of stealing of packages from front porches in Montreal... Quebec police are saying, do not share the video footage that you get from your doorbell camera or any of your security footage with your neighbors. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. He says it's based on, um, you know, our our theory of or our practice of, of innocent until proven guilty. For me, it is keeping our neighborhoods safe by sharing who's out there stealing our property.
3: Yeah, I think the Quebec police are totally out to lunch on this one. I think it was actually the Toronto Star, if I'm not mistaken, actually had a feature on this last year, and they talked about what your rights are. Uh, like, so long as the recording device is on your property, you're pretty much welcome to film in front of the sidewalk as much as you please or your front yard. Uh, and so that's kind of the standard I would take. If I had something valuable stolen uh, as a result of these porch pirates, you're darn right, I'd probably be posting this to Insta in addition to filing the police report, and hoping they somehow get it back.
0: Gentlemen, as always, I run out of time before we run out of topics and conversation, but thanks so much for joining me, Matt Gurney, Sunil Johal, and Jamie Ellerton. Coming up later in the break, we're going to do more on Toronto's budget, the 10.5 plus property tax increase that is being proposed. This is Deb Hutton sitting in for Resh You're listening to The Rush on News Talk 1010.